386, how vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. We're going to sing all three verses of 386. This morning, God's Word comes to us from John chapter 10, in the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to begin our reading at verse 22 and then read through verse 30. Jesus has described himself as the good shepherd at the beginning of John 10. We pick up our reading at verse 22 and hear the word of God. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. If you have a Psalter hymnal, you may turn to the back to page 109, as this morning we look at the fifth head of doctrine of the Canons of Dort, entitled uh, The Perseverance of the Saints. We really should read all of these articles to get the flow of what's going on, but I'm just going to read the selected ones that were listed in the bulletin this morning. From Head of Doctrine 5, The Perseverance of the Saints, Article 1. Those whom God, according to His purpose, calls to the communion of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit, He also delivers from the dominion and slavery of sin. Though in this life He does not deliver them altogether from the body of sin and from the infirmities of the flesh. Article 3. By reason of these remains of indwelling sin, and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who are converted could not persevere in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who having conferred grace, mercifully confirms and powerfully preserves them therein even to the end. Article 4 lists a number of those sins which we might commit. We pick up Article 5. By such enormous sins, however, they very highly offend God, incur a deadly guilt, grieve the Holy Spirit, interrupt the exercise of faith, very grievously wound their consciences, and sometimes, for a while, lose the sense of God's favor. Until, when they change their course by serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. Article 6, But God, who is rich in mercy, according to His unchangeable purpose of election, does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from His people even in their grievous falls nor suffers them to proceed so far as to lose the grace of adoption and forfeit the state of justification, or to commit the sin unto death against the Holy Spirit. Nor does He permit them to be totally deserted and to plunge themselves into everlasting destruction. And then finally, Article 8. Thus it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy, that they neither totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, which with respect to themselves is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, it is utterly impossible, since His counsel cannot be changed, nor His promise fail. Neither can the call according to His purpose be revoked, nor the merit intercession and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual, nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or 
obliterated. Well, this morning we are moving on to the fifth and final head of doctrine in our study of the doctrines of grace, those doctrines spelled out for us in the canons of Dort. And and the canons throughout heads one through four and five as well have answered the very basic question, who is responsible for our salvation? Kids, that's the question, just most fundamentally, that the canons are asking. Who is responsible for our salvation? Is it God or is it man? We saw with regard to election, meaning a choice, it is not that man makes a choice for God, but God makes a choice for man. We saw in the second head of doctrine, it is not that man uh, works his way to God, but Christ effectively atones for each and every one of God's chosen. We saw that when man recognizes his total depravity, he is, by God's grace, irresistibly drawn. Our salvation is first and last from God. God is the one responsible for our salvation. We will see that same truth played out in Head of Doctrine 5, the perseverance of the saints. As the other heads of doctrine in the doctrines of grace have been misunderstood, so has this one. Misunderstood and mischaracterized. Sometimes we say to someone, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. They say, oh, oh, I know that doctrine. You believe in once saved, always saved. You believe that? You believe in once saved, always saved? That, that if at one time I made a decision for God, now I am guaranteed salvation, once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints. Is that what you believe? Sometimes this doctrine is characterized as the doctrine of eternal security. That no matter what we do, no matter how we live, if we at one time have made a choice for God, we are eternally secure. And it doesn't matter how we live, we can live like we want, we can live like the devil. And we are eternally secure in our salvation. Is that what you believe? I'm sure you recognize both of these once saved, always saved. Eternal security. Misunderstand the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. This doctrine, when properly understood, is a wonderful source of comfort for the believer. And it is also a call to holy living in the believer. This morning we talk about the perseverance of the saints. Well, I guess, children, the first question we ask is, who are the saints? Who are the saints that persevere? Now, maybe when I say the word saint, you think of the older members in our congregation, those who have walked with God throughout their lives, those who have the time to spend 
hours in prayer every day. They spend hours in the Word of God every day. These are the people that if I was sick, I'd want them praying for me because God will certainly hear their prayers. These godly, saintly members who have walked with God for years and years and years. Is that what we mean by communion of the saints? These, these very, very wonderful, godly people? Paul, when he writes the churches, uses the word saint to speak to the church in general. He says, I am writing to the saints in Ephesus, or I'm writing to the saints in Philippi, meaning everyone in the church. I'm writing this to all of you. Is that what we mean by perseverance of the saints? Every single body in church indiscriminately? When we talk about perseverance of the saints, we are talking about the same people we have been talking about all along. Those who are the elect of God. Those who are particularly atoned for by Christ. Those who recognize their total depravity and yet know that they are irresistibly drawn by the blood of Jesus Christ unto God. These are the saints. The same ones we've been talking about, the elect, those chosen by God who are now children of God, those who were dead and now have been made alive, God's children. When we talk about perseverance of the saints, we do not mean perseverance of the confessors. That if at one time I came forward in a meeting, or if at one time I stood up in church and made a confession of my faith, that somehow that is a guarantee that I belong to God. It is not perseverance of the confessors that we talk about. It is not perseverance of, of the pew warmers. Now, kids, the, the, the seats we sit in in church are called the pews. And so a pew warmer is someone who perhaps their whole life has come to church, and yet, yet they've never truly been engaged with the church. They give a merely external piety. Oh, they show up and they bow their heads and they sing their songs, but their hearts are a million miles away. They're not engaged with God. We do not have perseverance of the confessors. We do not believe perseverance of the pew warmers. We believe perseverance of the saints, those whom God has called into a relationship with himself and in his church. And yet someone will come to you, and they will say, how can you believe that? How can you believe in perseverance of the saints because I know someone? 
I know someone who used to belong to the church, and they were active in the church, and they taught Sunday school, and they ushered on Sunday, and they they did all these things, and yet now they have wandered away, and they want nothing to do with the church. How can you say you believe in perseverance of the saints? Well, when someone comes to us with that objection, we do what we always should do. We take them to the Word of God. Because God's Word answers that particular objection. There is a text which you just need to know. I've told you a couple times in this series, there is some texts you just have to know. I hope you're keeping a list of these texts you need to know, because this is also one of them. The text is 1 John 2. The first epistle of John 2 and verse 19. Here's what we read. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. What's John saying? Those who leave and who never return demonstrate they never belonged in the first place. They may have made an external confession of faith, but they never truly belonged. If they had belonged, John said, they would still be here. No, the the, uh, argument that I knew someone who left does no damage to the beautiful doctrine of perseverance of the saints. The Bible addresses that objection directly in 1 John chapter 2. We believe in perseverance of the saints. This doctrine is sometimes referred to as preservation of the saints. In fact, I think, I'd have to go back and and check again, maybe kids do this this afternoon, In Head of Doctrine 5, I think the word preservation occurs more than the word perseverance. Now, don't count now. Just keep listening now. But this afternoon, look at Head of Doctrine 5. You can find it on the internet. And which word occurs more, preservation or perseverance? And really, these two things refer to the same activity, just from a different angle. When we talk about preservation of the saints, we are talking about God's work, God's active power. This is referenced in Article 3. By reason of these remains of indwelling sin and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who are converted could not persevere in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who having conferred grace, mercifully confirms and powerfully preserves them therein, even to the end. The preservation of God. God's active work to hold on to his own. 
Preservation is this, this task looked at from God's side. When we talk about perseverance, we're talking about the same thing, but now looked at from man's side. And I use the word side, not part. Not, that's not God's part and our part. It's a, a perspective. This truth of perseverance looked at from God's perspective is preservation. Looked at from our perspective is perseverance. It is our calling to persevere in the faith. And again, this, this, like the gift of faith, it is a work of God. Faith is a gift that he gives to us by which we embrace Christ, but we must exercise that faith. It is our faith. We are the ones who are called to believe. So too with preservation and perseverance. God is the one who preserves But we are called, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own power, we are called to persevere in the faith. This morning, we're going to focus on this work from God's side. Now, I hope I haven't confused you with the title of the sermon this morning. I have the title of the sermon, Perseverance of the Saints. I simply want that to echo what Head of Doctrine 5 says. But maybe, kids, if you're taking notes, uh, you want to put a second title behind that that sermon title. It's going to focus on God's preservation. Maybe you put this title for the sermon, God Preserves His Own. That'd be kind of like the secondary title, God Preserves His Own. Now, if someone asks us to prove the doctrine of God's preservation of his own, uh, where do we go? I've said again and again, uh, the first place we turn to is not the back of the Blue Psalter hymnal. As wonderful of a confession as that is, we go to Scripture, as we have throughout this series. Again, these are not not United Reformed doctrines. These are not simply uh, Protestant doctrines. These are biblical doctrines. The doctrine of election, you have to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Reprobation, you have to go to Romans chapter 9. That we are saved by grace, not works, you have to go to Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. So where do we go in Scripture to demonstrate God's preservation of his own? Well, we could go to the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now listen to this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who by God's power are being guarded. That is God's preservation of his own. But notice too how Peter is so balanced. Who by God's power through faith are being guarded. This is our obligation to express our faith, to believe the truth of Scripture. But God is the one who is active. God is the one who is doing 
the guarding. We could look to the words of Peter. We could look to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, we have those wonderful words in Philippians 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God who began a good work, salvation is first of all from God, God who began a good work will bring it to completion. He will powerfully preserve his own. Paul doesn't, says, doesn't say, God who began a work will take you part way and then leave it up to you. God who began a good work will take you most of the way and then leave it up to you. No, God who began a work in you will bring it to completion. God's powerful work to preserve each and every one of his own. We could look at the words of Peter. We could look at the words of Paul. We could look at the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in John chapter 10. John 10 we read at verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. Jesus here is making a clear distinction between those who belong to him and those who do not. He is the great shepherd, as we, as we read earlier, and the great shepherd cares for his sheep. Not for everyone indiscriminately. He cares for his sheep. And he says, you don't understand because you're not my sheep. Even the works I do bear witness to me. But you refuse to hear because you do not belong to me. Jesus goes on, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep will hear my voice, they will listen to me, I know them, and they follow me. Jesus knows us. He knows us completely. He knows everything about us. He is the shepherd caring for us, his sheep. And what does he say that care includes? Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is preservation of the saints. They hear me, I know them, I give them life. And no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And then Jesus goes on as if that wasn't enough. He goes on in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. As if the words of our Lord and Savior are not enough, he says, my Father, my Father, who is over all, more powerful than all, no one 
can snatch them from my Father's hand. God's powerful preservation of his own. And it is that beautiful truth, it is that wonderful truth, that's a glorious comfort for us. It comforts us knowing that we belong to God and nothing can snatch us from our Father's hand. Nothing can snatch us from Jesus' hand. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And while it is a wonderful comfort, we belong to God. He powerfully preserves us. When I look at my life, I say, is that really the truth? Because when I look at my life, I see so much sin still indwelling. You know, you would think if God is powerfully preserving me, I would not return to these same sins again and again and again. And our our confession so beautifully speaks to that. Article 1. Those whom God, according to his purpose calls to the communion of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by the Holy Spirit, he also delivers from the dominion and slavery of sin. Though in this life, he does not deliver them altogether from the body of sin and the infirmities of the flesh. We have been delivered from the dominion of sin. We've been delivered from slavery to sin. We have not been delivered from that body of sin that still dwells in us. Just because we see sin indwelling, do not think God has let go. Do not think he has stopped powerfully preserving each and every one of his own. In fact, when we do see that sin, we have to respond to it, and Article 5 addresses that. By such enormous sins, however... They very highly offend God, incur a deadly guilt, grieve the Holy Spirit, interrupt the exercise of faith, very grievously wound their consciences, and sometimes for a a while lose the sense of God's favor until when they change their course by serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance shines upon them again. When we see that sin indwelling, We must hate that sin. We must abhor that sin. We must not say, well, you know what? Once saved, always saved. Guess it doesn't matter. We must not say, hey, you know what? Eternal security, doesn't matter how I live. When we see that sin remaining, it must bring us to repentance. We must turn away from our sin, turn back to the glorious countenance of God. And be reminded of his powerful preservation by the work of his Holy Spirit. Because those in whom God is active, those in whom he is powerfully working, will never fall away. Again from the Confession, Article 8. Thus, it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy that they neither totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, which with respect to themselves is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, 
it is utterly impossible since his counsel cannot be changed nor his promise fail. If perseverance was simply left to us, we would most certainly fail, but it is not. God has determined who are his own, and each and every one will persevere to the end. He will powerfully preserve them. It is utterly impossible for God to lose anyone of his own, whether that be through the temptations of my own sin, the temptations of the world, the temptations of the devil himself. God preserves his own. These beautiful words. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a wonderful comfort to know this God. In just a couple minutes, we're going to sing um, one of my favorites from the Psalter hymnal. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Now, notice the words, I know whom I have believed. Not, I know that I have believed. Not, I know what I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Our assurance, our confidence is in God himself. I know whom I have believed. If you, if you desire this comfort, if you desire this assurance, simply put your faith in the promise of the word of God. Simply put your faith in Jesus Christ the one who will hold on to you. No one will snatch you out of his hand. And his Father, who is greater than all, no one will snatch you from his Father's hand. The doctrine of the preservation of the saints is a wonderful comfort for the believer. We know that even sin indwelling cannot take us away, cannot snatch us from the hand of our God. That is his assurance. That is his promise. That is his comfort. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we confess most readily that we are so weak, we are so frail, we are so easily drawn into sin. And it would be easy for us, O oh God, to conclude, therefore, uh, we are not saved. We're not held by you anymore but we are not more powerful than you. We cannot outsin the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No, Lord God, encourage us this morning that you, by your power, preserve each and every one of your own, the saints, that you walk with us, you go ahead of us, and you will continue to guide and direct us all the way to the end of our life and beyond. You who began a good work will bring it to completion. May that wonderful truth encourage us, strengthen us, and give us a greater desire to persevere in this wonderful faith. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.